Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 26. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am extremely excited to introduce my special guest today, David Stern. David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready for the ride. All right. David Stern is the Vice President of Marketing at Metrovac, a company that focuses on manufacturing American-made, high-quality, high-power vacuums for the automotive enthusiast who demands the best. David has been a car guy since childhood and began his entrepreneurial ways when he was just a kid. He's an avid motorcycle rider and can often be found ripping up the back roads with his buddies when he's not in the garage playing with his cars. I own several Metrovacs, and I can tell you they are a joy to use when you're detailing your vehicles. David, I've told our listeners a little about you, so please take some time and share more about your history, your business, your career, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles. Okay. I guess uh, as far as business is concerned, uh, the company was started in 1939 by uh, my grandmother and grandfather uh, with a $50 uh, loan that they had received from my grandmother's father when he pawned his pocket watch. He pawned a gold pocket watch in 1939 and and gave, uh, again, my grandmother and grandfather a $50 loan to start the business. Oh, wow. Which was in a 10-foot by 10-foot shop in in the Bronx, New York. 10 by 10. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That is, you know, it's it's the real real American dream story. Uh, You know, there were immigrants and... um, you know, had the American dream, and and uh, my grandfather had worked for vacuum cleaner manufacturers like Singer and Hoover, and uh, at some point he decided he wanted to start out on his own. Wow. That's how we started. Take us maybe through your childhood and walk us up through your history and how you ended up getting involved with your family business. Well, uh, yeah, I was always into, like, um, wanting to make my own money. You know, uh, I mean, I grew up in, a, I guess, a, a middle-class home. My parents could afford to buy me things, but it was my father's philosophy to really want me to buy things on my own. So, he, you know, anytime I told him, you know, hey, Dad, I want a hi-fi, you know, back in the 60s, he used to call them hi-fis for the high-fidelity stereos. And uh, I said, Dad, I want a hi-fi. He said, no problem, go get one. I would go out and work. You know, I was it was doing things uh, at neighbors' house. I was mowing lawns. As I get older, I was working in restaurants. I was a dishwasher. I was a busboy. I was a short order chef. Did different odds and end jobs to uh, to put some money in my pocket. And then, uh, you know, I guess my after I was sixteen, I got my license. Maybe closer to seventeen, I said, you know, I want to buy a car. I want or want a car. He says, good, no problem, go buy one. So uh, that's when I found the 76 Pontiac Sunbird with a five-speed and a 3.8-liter V6, and used to throw that thing around pretty good. You've always been a car guy, but how did you get involved with the family business? Family business. Um, I went to uh, attended Boston University, and I graduated in '83, and, and it was an advertising, marketing, and public relations degree, mass communications, and then from there I worked at a, a PR firm. And I was at the PR firm for a little while, and I was bringing in some big money for the company, for the, for the uh, public relations firm I was working with, and, uh, representing JVC and Jensen Car Stereos. 
And uh, I went into the boss and I said, uh, you know, I want to make some some serious money now. And they said, well, what are you talking about? And I told them, and they said, well, get get out of here. You know, uh, they said we're not giving you that. And and uh, you know, they didn't they didn't tell me that they wanted me to leave. They wanted me to stay, but they weren't giving me what I was looking or what I thought I was worth. And so uh, I had a conversation with my uh, father and grandfather and and uh, told them that I, I would like to come into the family business and. And they both said almost in unison, well, what are you going to do for us? We don't need another mouth to feed. <laughs> so this is like, uh, I guess it was towards the end of the, the recession in the 80s. And uh, I said, I, uh, you know, I said, I think that I can do some things for the company. And uh, I, I uh, entered it and, and uh, towards the end of 1983, early 1984, and I was able to develop some new product lines and get us into uh, industries that uh, we weren't serving at the time. Well, sometimes in companies, nepotism can be a real challenge, not only for the person who's joining the business, the family business, but also the people already in it. How did you overcome some of those challenges? It sounds like your dad probably just treated you like another employee if he raised you in a way that taught you to handle things yourself. 100%. I mean, I came in and I was working uh, at the bottom. I mean, at the time, we were the largest reconditioner of Electrolux vacuum cleaners in the world. We would buy old trade-in vacuum cleaners from the Electrolux Corporation, and they would be delivered to us in a 53-foot trailer. It would be like 1,500 of them loose on a truck, and they would all have to be um, basically unloaded by hand. So I used to do that, you know, I used, to, I used to be on the truck and I used to work on the assembly line and, uh, you know, I used to do everything that was necessary to get stuff built, inspected, packed, and shipped. And I did that for for years, all at the same time by building different industries, um, you know, that we were getting into. I mean, simultaneously, it was I was building a product line and getting us into the pet product industry with a line of dog dryers. So, yeah, I, I, I started at the bottom. I worked my way up. Um, funny thing with the dog dryers are uh, they really were the impetus uh, to getting into the motorcycle dryer business and then getting into the car dryer business. And if you want, I can uh, elaborate on that. Sure, yeah. Let us know how that evolved because it's very interesting. People think of vacuums as just cleaning up floors. And so the evolution of dog dryers to motorcycle and engine and car dryers is an interesting one. Right. So everything we do here is moving air one way or the other. We're making vacuum cleaners and we're making blowers. And we've always done that. And uh, when I came to the business, we made a yard and garden leaf blower. And this yard and garden leaf blower um, you know, had some big competition you know, in the yard and garden leaf blower industry. But there were people that were bringing it to dog shows uh, and, you know, and the breeders' competitions and things like that and using it as a dog dryer. So once I had determined you know, what people were using it at, uh, I did a little research to find out what was out there and, uh, as a competition. We came out with the lowest-priced dog dryer on the market. Uh, the next comparable product sold for about $300 and... Our dog dryer was selling for about $79 to professional dog groomers and, and people who uh, showed uh, dogs and animals. So we really, uh, we turned that whole market upside down. That dog dryer, years later, 
was being used by a gentleman that uh, bred German Shepherds, and uh, he also had a Harley Davidson. And after he dried off his dogs, he decided to wash and dry his motorcycle. It worked really, really well, and and uh, we found out uh, what had transpired, and and we we looked in, I looked into that market, and people were using leaf blowers and compressed air to dry their motorcycles. Now the difference between our product, you know, and a leaf blower is we're putting out warm, dry, filtered air, and leaf blowers are not filtered. And it's not warm. And if anything, it's like uh, sandblasting your motorcycle at 300 miles an hour. Mm. So a new product was born and a new industry was born. We uh, we expanded that industry and, and uh, we're now an OEM supplier to Harley-Davidson with our motorcycle dryers. And uh, our motorcycle dryers are available through basically every single motorcycle dealer across the country and in many, uh, in many uh, foreign countries as well. Then the product morphed again. In 2007, the motorcycle industry had a downturn because people were using equity in their homes to, to buy motorcycles and toys and things like that. And, and uh, it was a pretty rough uh, economy here in the U.S. People were, I had heard of people using our motorcycle dryer, actually specifically the Master Blaster, as a car dryer. I investigated that market. Again, another product and another industry was born, and and uh, we started going to SEMA and and showing the product and and uh, selling a lot of the high-end mail order catalogs that cater to automotive enthusiasts and uh, car nuts. Well, it's a wonderful story of listening to your customers' needs and determining how they're using your product or how they wish they could use your product, pivoting that product into something completely different and being successful with it. And I can tell you, I use a Master Blaster in my car. I absolutely love that thing. It is so great, especially for the engine, getting air out of all those nooks and crannies. The wheels, you can dry your tires off instantly so you can dress them. You don't have to wait for them to to dry if you like to use a tire dressing. And uh, what a joy. And if you're using it in the cooler days of the fall or winter out in your cold driveway, it uh, blows that warm air out and really... Well, he makes you, warms you up. I've shoved it down inside my jacket many times to warm myself up so I could finish my car. So great product. Thank you. I always like to start our journey here with a success quote, something that's been instrumental in forming your success, your life. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So take the wheel, David. Well, I guess a success quote that I have, uh, you know, was passed down to be by my grandfather. My grandfather, you know, again, started was with my grandmother, started the company, and he had uh, a lot of sayings. Uh, one of his sayings was, he, and he related it to sales and making sales calls, was throw mud. The more mud you throw, the more will stick. <laughs> and his philosophy was the more sales calls you make, the greater the average of success. So, you know, we live that today. We're always uh, looking for new markets and we're always looking for new customers. He had a, a ton of sayings. You know, he, another saying was don't make problems, solve them. Uh, we had a, a tool and die maker working for us for many years. And, and he would say uh, the company that stands still falls down. So you always have to, you know, keep moving and finding new markets and keep on reinventing yourself and, uh, you know, shuck and jive and move. And, and uh, again, as you said before, listen to your customers, listen to consumers, 
find out what they're using your products for and, and how it can be adapted and you know you, you you go you investigate and then go after markets sure well you answered my next question and that was how did you incorporate that quote into your business and your life and the stories you've shared you've certainly done that so wonderful wisdom handed down by your grandfather what was his first name his first name was Israel Israel and, and Pearl Stern started the company Israel and Pearl Stern wonderful that's super David what was that pivotal moment when you really understood that you were a car guy that moment that instigated your passion for cars I uh I I just always liked cars I remember uh you know when I was maybe you know 4 or 5 years old I I would I had Tonka toys you know my father bought me Tonka toys and I guess he he bought those for me he didn't make me buy them myself at 4 and 5 <laughs> and um my brother would put together those Ravel plastic models and I used to take those the Tonka toys and and smash up his model. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> the evil brother. Exactly. So you know, I, I got a charge out of that and then um, you know, like every kid I was into matchbox cars. The driving age in New York was sixteen at the time, I think it still is, or maybe sixteen and a half right now. But uh, I used to get behind the wheel, and you know, if my parents were out, I would get behind the wheel and 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 uh, take my mom's Dodge Dodge Dart out. One time they were you know busy in the morning, and and I figured that they were going to be occupied till about twelve thirty. Well, I came back into the driveway after running through Harriman State Park, which is a local park here, and you know some great roads. And I came back into the driveway maybe at eleven forty-five, twelve, and uh, my dad was at the uh, side door looking at me, and uh, like my heart almost came out of my chest. And, you know, he, he, he busted me for driving the car without a license. So, but uh, I was always into cars. I just, you know, I, I like the way they feel, I like the way they drive, and uh, you know, I like I like pushing them, and it's it's just fun. It's exhilarating, you know. And, uh, I've I've had some track time and some track experience, um, you know, and and, and gone to some uh, schools like Bob Bondurant and Skip Barber. You know, I just find it exhilarating. Oh yeah, they're a lot of fun. Well, David, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and and really crawl under the hood and maybe get our hands a little dirty. Would you share with us a huge challenge you've had in your business career, maybe even a big failure that you had to face, and tell us. How did you push through that? How did you overcome that situation? I think that I tell people that I'm optimistic, and I am optimistic. And sometimes I say I'm optimistic to the point of stupidity because um, <laughs> I always uh, look to uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, and I believe that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And, and uh, whatever challenges uh, I have faced, uh, either personally or business-wise, uh, well, we have faced business-wise, you know, there are solutions. You just have to sit down and you have to talk it out. Sometimes and list people that are that are way smarter than you to talk about uh, any challenges that arise. You know, when you're in business for 75 years, uh, you've introduced winners and you've introduced losers. So, you know, we've had our share of, uh, of winners and we've also had our share of losers. But uh, I think, um, you know, the most important thing is, you know, you, you realize when you have a loser uh, after a while, and hopefully it's not a terribly long while, you say, you know what, it's enough of this one, let's let's discontinue it and then go on to something else or, or spend our energy and our time somewhere else. My dad had figured out that we had probably gone through about 13 different recessions since the beginning uh, of our company start. So 
you know, we never really uh, pull back on advertising. You know, we still think uh, that advertising is very important, even during recessions, because uh, when that recession lifts, you know, the one who has had their name out the most is going to capture that much more market share. I think we try not to panic when things slow down. You know, you know, occasionally we have to contract a little bit. And, you know, if we have a five-day work week, maybe we go down to a four-day work week. We, uh, we've got a lot of long-term employees. I mean, people have been – got one guy working here for 50 years. You know, my shipping clerk's been here 48 years and a lot oh my of gosh. 20s and 30s and 40s. And, uh, you know, we don't – I mean, you really have to mess up big for us to lay you off. But, uh, you know, there have been times, obviously, over the last 75 years that we've had to cut back as far as the amount of days that we work or cut back on hours just to keep, you know, keep ourselves busy and, and keep everybody working. Well, those are great stories. I appreciate you sharing those. Let's let's shift gears a little bit here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'd like you to share a story when you had a real aha moment in your business and your career, a time when you realized an idea or a concept was really going to make it. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment around into a success. That's a good question. I, you know, I I would say it it probably has to do with um, you know with the dryers. You know, initially it was with the dog dryers, and and uh, I said it looks like we really had something, and and we did have something because we had the lowest price dryer at the time, and then. When we switched gears again, you know, I turned it into a, a motorcycle dryer and basically just changed the marketing and changed the packaging and changed the labeling. Hello, everybody. Uh, yes, you know, this is a dog dryer, but uh, it's being used as a motorcycle dryer. And uh, w- what I did to uh, to plant those seeds is that basically I sent out tons of units for free to like the movers or the shakers uh, in the motorcycle industry. You know custom bike builders who uh, had a name, you know, and, and they were just creating these unbelievable motorcycles. And, and I would call them up or I'd see them at a trade show and, and say, you know, you got to try this. You know, if you have ever attempted to draw your motorcycle before with a leaf blower or compressed air, try this. This is the best thing since sliced bread. And so I think that whenever the product or any of our products have morphed and we have studied the potential market, that has been an aha moment um, to me. Perfect. Sounds wonderful. Let's have a little fun and talk about maybe a little bit more about that first car of yours. You mentioned it earlier. If you could remind us what that was and then maybe share some fun memories you had with that car, adventures, trips, modifications. Uh, that was a 1976 Pontiac Sunbird that had a 3.8 liter V6 and, a, and a 5 on the floor. That was the car I could afford. That was not the car I really wanted. Uh, at the same time I was looking at that, I was also looking at a 1969 Ford Mustang KR500. Mm-hmm. Monster of a car. I drove that, and that's the one I wanted, but I couldn't afford it. But I think that uh, everything uh, happens for a reason, and probably uh, you know somebody up there said, you know what, Dave, you're not ready for that car right yeah, now, and uh, a little too much horsepower. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The, you know, the the Sunbird was great. It was it was uh, fire thorn red. I think I remember the the uh, the color, and and uh, I used to really drive it to its limits, and you know, I was throwing the tail out. You know, back then, today they call it drifting, but back then, you know, you, you just break the tail loose and go around corners and, and uh, you know, uh, what's a th- throttle steer, you know, using your uh, right foot to, to throttle steer the car. 
take it on dates and go out with my buddies and, you know, roll over the place, parks, and we had a great time with that. Good memories, good memories. As long as your dad wasn't standing in the window watching you throw that tail around the corner. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Is there a car you've had in the past that you have some seller's remorse about that you really wish you still owned? I had a 2011 ZR1 up until uh, the fall of last year, and I really liked the car. Uh, I mean, tons of horsepower and torque. You know, they were stock seats, and I guess I could have replaced the seats, but the stock seats were just terrible. And I, I have a herniated disc, so I couldn't drive that car for more than 30 minutes without getting, a, you know, a severe discomfort uh, in the back. Oh. So, uh, but that was a great car. I mean, you know, mechanically, it's a supercar. It's extremely streetable. You can draw, you know, if it was comfortable, you can literally drive it all day long because uh, it had great road manners. But uh, if you wanted to really get aggressive with it, it was a phenomenal track car. Um, when I got the car in 2011, GM was giving ZR1 uh, uh, purchases uh, two days at uh, Spring Mountain. Um, which is um, in Nevada, Spring Mountain Racetrack. It's in Nevada. Okay. And you were basically using their ZR1s at the track. And so I had two days really getting acclimated with the car and seeing what the potential was. And it's a phenomenal, phenomenal track car. Uh, again, gobs of power, 638 horsepower, and, and I think about 600 you know, pound-feet of torque as well. And from what I understand, I mean, I haven't driven in the uh, C7s like... Uh, yet to that extent, but uh, they're supposed to be even better. So, oh, yeah. interesting. Sounds fun. Is there a current project you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Once again, in business, we're, de- we're developing uh, some new car vacuums and enhancing uh, the motorcycle motorcycle dryers and the car dryers. As far as cars are concerned, I'm, I'm, you know, I always look at buying new cars and you know when I say new cars I don't really buy new cars I buy like semi used cars you know as mm-hmm. far as exotics are concerned yeah. I'm always looking like on cars.com and and uh, motors.ebay and things like that but I'm not going to be pulling the trigger anytime soon cuz uh, hopefully you know, my my daughter is engaged and she's going to be getting married in the fall of 2015 so Ooh. I'm trying to, yeah save you know, those gonna, uh, save those dollars exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, congratulations. Uh, but, uh, always. Thank you very much. But always, always looking at cars. I mean, constantly. You know, uh, I'll be watching TV with my wife, and I have my iPad in in my lap, and she's, "What are you looking at? Hmm. Cars." Of course. You know, I'm always looking at cars. Yeah. Cars. Yeah. I like that. Exactly. I like the way you exactly. got that got that in there. Thank you. If you were a car, David, what kind of car would you be, and why? A uh, great question. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a twofold answer. Okay. In business. I'm an M1 Abrams tank. Whoa, okay. Because uh, if I have a specific goal or specific customer or a specific project that uh, needs to get accomplished, I go at it. I don't stop until you know that task or that project or that customer uh, has, has been obtained. That's just, um, I guess, personality. Um, I've got, uh, I'm motivated. I like what I do. Uh, I like, the challenge of uh, being in business, and, and um, I believe in, in our products. And yeah. uh, so that, that's what type of uh, vehicle I would be in business. Uh, personally, I think that I'm a Porsche 911. Porsches are, um, you know, they're, they're reliable. They are steadfast, quick, 
they are um, they're low maintenance. They're somewhat understated, mm-hmm. but they get they get it all done, and and uh, in the process, it's very exciting. Sure, and they're a classic when it comes to styling. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That is a, a great point. I mean, the nine eleven looks like the nine eleven and the original nine eleven. You know, it yeah. just never ends. Yeah. So uh, unmistakable. Been a great evolution for that brand, for sure. Outstanding. Outstanding. Okay, David. This is one of my favorite parts of our discussion. I call it the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? The best automotive advice would be, especially when you're buying a classic car or an exotic, is get the best available. Take your time. Do your due diligence. Again, it's you know years ago I wanted a '76 Eldorado convertible. I don't know why I wanted it, but I just wanted one. So I did some research on it, and then I found that there was a, a, a what they called a bicentennial Eldorado, and there were only 200 of them in 1976, and those were the last 200 that came off the assembly line at GM. For that particular '76 Eldorado, it was the best available. So it cost me a few dollars more to buy it, but when I was ready to sell it, I got a few dollars more as well. Sure. So Wonderful. Get, get the best get the best available. Whether whatever it is, whatever you're looking to buy, you're looking to buy a vintage Volkswagen Beetle, find the best one. You're looking to buy a '66 Mustang, get the best one. Sure. Great advice. Would you share with us one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success? People trust me people trust uh, us as a company i don't look for the short term gain i'm always looking long term and and you know what's good for both of our companies you know uh, our company and my customer uh, i don't sell them anything i don't believe in i don't load them up on product that i don't think that they're going to sell successfully you know, it's it's just honor and integrity and and you know doing the right thing and uh, and karma. You know, I'm a big believer in you know whatever goes around comes around, good and bad. So uh, you, you try to be good to uh, you know to everybody. You know, you be good to your fellow man. I mean, you try to to, to be good to your employees. You be good to your your customers, and you be good to your suppliers. And I think it all comes back. Absolutely. Do you have a resource that you would share with our listeners that you really enjoy, maybe relating to cars, but it could be business too, a website or suppliers or maybe a restoration shop? Um, I like uh, Auto Week. I think that uh, it's a, it's a gr- still a great and relevant magazine. You know, there are tons and tons of monthlies out there, but by the time you read uh, some of them, you already have all that information about a new car or whatever, based up, you know, because everything's on the internet. I like eBay Motors. I like Cars.com. Um, there are, you know, there are mavericks in industries that we're in that uh, I bounce things off of all the time. You know, uh, there's a gentleman in the motorcycle industry. His name is Tom Rudd. Tom Rudd started the largest motorcycle distribution company, built it up to, I mean, a huge, huge, huge company, and then started another uh, great motorcycle accessory uh, distribution company. And he's just a really sharp, insightful guy. I mean, he just he sees products and he sees potential, and he, and he just goes for it. So, Is there a book you've recently read that you could share with our listeners that you really enjoyed? I like 
obviously I like all car books, like books on Corvettes and books on Ferraris and books on Porsches. Um, I like a couple of uh, authors, uh, Brad Thor and uh, Lee Child and Nelson DeMille. I like those those authors. You know, they, you know, it's it's uh, light uh, fiction, and, and uh, I'll try to keep it light when I'm out here. Well, listeners, you can find links to all the resources that we've talked about here at carsyad.com slash David Stern. Just put David in the search bar, and his show notes page will pop right up. So, David, we're up to the checkered flag. This last question can sometimes be a challenge. I call it a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage something you couldn't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money was no object, what would that vehicle be and why? I can only have one? Only one, sorry. Only one. Only that one. An excellent question. That's really, that's a very, very hard question. You can't have two, huh? I'm sorry. Only one. Just one. <laughs> um, I think a Ford GT. Ford GT, nice car. Yeah, and why? Why? What is it about that car? You know, uh, it is, um, yeah, obviously, as you know, being a car guy, uh, it was a, a, a reproduction of the uh, 66 Le Mans uh, GT40. And um, I think Ford did a phenomenal job with it. I, I, I wish that they would do more, you know, limited edition projects like that. I remember when it first came out, I think it was 160 grand at a Ford dealership. When I started looking at them again, uh, probably um, probably half a dozen years ago, they were about one hundred and twenty or one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, and I didn't have a spare one twenty or one thirty to go around. <laughs> and uh, today they're in the mid twos uh, to the low threes, you know, depending on the model and depending on options and depending on color. You know, they've got that heritage edition, which was the uh, I think it was the blue and orange. Yeah, the golf colors. And, yes, and I think they made about sixty-seven of them, and those are those are half a million dollar cars. So. Um, I, you know, I've, I've actually driven one once I was at a dealer and I drove one. I think that they're pretty tricky to drive. And I know that there's a lot of wrecked, uh, four GTs out there because so there's no electronics. So, you know, it's all up to the driver, you know, mm-hmm. to save to save yourself. But I think it's a, it's a great car. And I think, uh, uh, potentially value wise and, uh, investment wise, it's going to be a million dollar car, you know, very, very soon. Well, they are wonderful. I had the pleasure of driving one as well, and there's nothing like that supercharger right over your shoulder when that thing right. spools up. And uh, But, yeah, I've heard with no traction control or anything, you've got to be very careful with those vehicles. But great choice. Right. Yeah, that's a great, great, great car. Well, David, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed talking with you and your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with our listeners. If you could please give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Ford GT. And let listeners know what's the best way they can find out about your company, and then we'll say goodbye. It may sound corny, but uh, I think that uh, love what you do for a living, and it will never feel like work. And I didn't make it up, but um, you know, uh, I think especially you know people who are into cars or in the automotive industry, uh, you know, it's a great industry, and and the people who you have, um, who you meet and speak to. 
it crosses all social strata. You can, you know, you go to a, a parking lot and you can see somebody who's got a a, a Nova or uh, an old Le Mans, and is the same same parking lot. Somebody's got a, a Bugatti, and they're all the same. Everybody's the same, and everybody loves cars, and and it's it's just a great club to be in, and and it's uh, it, it's um, it's great about car people like that that. Everybody's on the same page when it comes to that. As far as our company's concerned, people can know and find out more about us by visiting our website, which is uh, metrovac.com. Wonderful. And listeners, you can find everything we've talked about again here at carsyeah.com slash David Stern. On his show notes page, we'll have links to all of the items David's talked about. And you can check out Metrovac, their website. And uh, I would encourage you to, to buy one or two or three of their products. They're really wonderful. Thank you, David, for being so generous with your time today and your expertise and for sharing your story and experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!